Revelation chapter 4, you're there. Revelation chapter 4, starting in verse 1. When uh, my wife was a kid and she was sick, uh, her dad would give her a bell. And the purpose of the bell was to ring it whenever she needed something. And he knew, oh, that sound means she needs something, and I'm going to come in here and provide for her whatever it is that she needs. My, my kid is sick, and so when she rings the bell, I come running. I don't know if he actually ran, but I come in and provide for her whatever it is that she's in need of. She's sick, so I'm going to serve her. Whenever she uh, saw her dad sick, she also provided the bell for him and for him to ring it so that she could come in and provide for him whatever it is that he needed because she, he was sick and she wanted to serve him. And, and the relationship between dad and daughter, it's cute. I mean, right? It's silly. It's fun. And the relationship between parent and child, it's cute. It's silly. It's fun. But I wonder how many of us think about God like that. I wonder how many of us think, I ring the bell, and I want God to come running and give to me what I need, give to me what I want, give to me what I'm asking for. And so I ring the bell, and I expect God to come running and to serve me however I see fit. And what you would be revealing in that moment is that you believe that God is at your service. And that's exactly the question that we're going to ask and answer tonight. Is God at my service? And we've been in this uh, series now, this is the third week, called Is God? Just looking at common misconceptions of God. We looked at, is God all about rules? And answered that from the scriptures. Then last week we looked at, is God far off? And answered that from the scriptures. And this week we'll answer, ask and answer the question, is God at my service. Should I think about God as the one who comes running when I ring the bell? Does God respond to me or is it different? And perhaps it might be helpful for some of you to, to ask yourself some of these questions to identify. Do I actually operate like this? I mean, like you, you hear me say that and you hear me ring the bell and think about that. And you're like, oh, certainly I'm not like that. But maybe just ask these questions to yourself. You don't have to answer them out loud. Just ask and answer them for your Self. When you hear that following Jesus comes with a cost, are you tempted to avoid that? Or do you just back out completely? Do you think when Jesus says, hey, if you want to follow me, take up your cross, deny yourself. For anyone who would save his life will lose it. But if you lose your life for my sake, you'll find it. Do you hear that and you think, look, if that's the deal, Jesus, if it's going to cost this much, I'm either going to avoid that or I'm just going to back out. Because that's not really what I'm looking for. You might be revealing that you see God is at your service. Or do you desire the blessings of God more than you desire God himself? Do you want God's stuff, but you don't want God? Hey God, I want you to make me prosper. I want things to go well for me. I want you to make me successful. I want you to give me blessings, God. I just... I'm not concerned if I get you or not. I just want your stuff. You might be revealing that you see God is at your service. What does your prayer life look like? Is your prayer life only, only requests for your benefit? Or is it also praise for who God is? 
Do you find yourself over and over again, God, give me, God, give me, God, let me, God, let me. But never, ever saying to God, God, I am just grateful for who you are. God, I'm in awe of what you have accomplished in Jesus. I'm not saying that it's bad to request things from God. He's a good dad in that way. However, if the only thing that you find yourself going to God for is give me, let me, then you might be revealing that you see God is at your service. You ring the bell and expect the butler to come running. And finally, when you pray, do you find yourself frustrated if God doesn't answer right away? I prayed, I asked, and God didn't, God didn't answer right away. I prayed once and no answer. Or I prayed this thing and God gave me a different answer. God didn't give me what I asked for. So I'm frustrated. You shake your fist at God. God, I did, I prayed, I did what you said and you didn't. And so I'm frustrated. God, I rang the bell and you didn't come running. I'm frustrated. You might be revealing that you see God is at your service. Now, if some of those identify you, if any of those identify you, what do you need? How do we move from believing that to believing what is right? We need a perspective shift. In fact, we need a right perspective. You can think about it like this. My son, Wesley, he loves cars, loves them. Uh, if you ever came over to my house and looked at my two-year-old son and said, hey, Wesley, do you want to play cars? He would say yes all the time. He loves them. And so he has, <clears throat> this is one of his toy monster trucks. And he takes it out whenever he wants to play with it. And he pushes it around. And sometimes he makes the noise of the truck. I don't know that it, he makes the noise of this one, but sometimes he makes the noises. Sometimes he throws it because he can, and he just wants to. He rolls it and watches it roll off the table. He controls it. And when he's done with it, he puts it away. About a year ago, he got to go to this thing in Texas City called Touch a Truck, and he got to see the real thing. Here's a picture of it. How silly would it be if he walked up to that truck and decided, I want to push it. I want it to roll. I want to throw it. And you're laughing because that's silly. That would be ridiculous. Because in this scenario, my son responds to the truck. The truck doesn't respond to him. If that truck turned on, I would expect my son to make the right decision in fleeing in terror. <laughs> because in this scenario, he responds to the truck. The truck doesn't respond to him. I wonder how many of you see God a lot like this toy. Whenever you're looking for some spiritual thrill, you bring him out and you push him around. You get what you want out of it. And when you're done, you just put it away. I'm done. I don't need this anymore. 
But the truth of it is that the picture the Bible is going to paint is a lot more like this. That we find ourselves responding to who God is, not the other way around. And I think that's what we'll see in Revelation chapter 4. So Revelation chapter 4, starting in verse 1, read the whole chapter. Revelation 4, 1 through 11. This is what the Word of God says. After this I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven, and the first voice which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet, saying, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven, with one seated on the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian, and around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. Around the throne were twenty-four thrones, and seated on the thrones were twenty-four elders, clothed in white garments and golden crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder, and before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures, full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature like a lion, the second living creature like an ox, the third living creature with the face of a man, and the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within. And day and night they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. So here's the idea I want you to get in your heads. That God's greatness provides us with the necessary perspective to respond to him properly. I'll say it to you one more time. God's greatness provides us with the necessary perspective to respond to him properly. So let's gain some of that perspective from Revelation chapter 4. Jump all the way back up to verse 1, and we'll just move through it and grab some perspective about who God is. Verse 1, After this I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven, and the first voice which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. So now John, the writer of this revelation, is getting a picture of a throne room. That's what's about to happen. So he says, come up here, verse 2. At once I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven, and one seated on the throne. The first thing he sees is the throne. The first picture that he has is the throne, and there's one seated on the throne. Who sits on thrones? Kings do. Rulers sit on thrones. People with authority sit on thrones. And this is the first picture that John gets. Telling us. Here's here's one of the perspectives we have to get from Revelation chapter 4. First, God is majestic. God is majestic. God is a ruler. God is king. He is majesty. He is the one who sits on thrones. The throne, he goes on to describe that in verse 3. And he who sat there 
had the appearance of. Meaning, John is seeing this being on the throne. He's seeing God on the throne. And he decides to start describing what he looks like. And the best words he can come up with are in verse 3. And he who sat there had the appearance of, not that he actually was, but it looked like this. Had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian. And around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. Around the throne were 24 elders, were 24 thrones, and seated on the thrones were 24 elders, clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. Whenever you hear flashes of lightning, rumblings, and peals of thunder, what you should think is authority. What you should think is the fear of the Lord. A lot like Mount Sinai in Exodus. Before the throne, the rest of verse 5, before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne, there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal, just showing us over and over again. God is majestic. Think of how many times you have heard the word throne in six verses. Verse 2. And behold, a throne stood in heaven with one on the throne. Verse 3. And around the throne, a rainbow had the appearance of an emerald. Verse 4. And around the throne were 24 thrones and seated on the thrones and 24 elders clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads from the Throne came flashes of lightning and rumbling. You get the point. This is taking up everything that John is seeing. I mean, this is majesty of majesties at this point. It's almost like everywhere I look, it is throne. It is king. It is majestic. God is majestic. He is the king. But it goes on in verse... The rest of verse 6. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures, full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature like a lion, the second living creature like an ox, the third living creature like the fate with the face of a man, the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes around and within, and day and night they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. What does this show us about who God is? Yes, that he is majestic, but also that God is praised, that God is worshipped. You get this picture, these living creatures, these crazy looking, these crazy described living creatures, like a lion, like an ox, one with the face of a man, like an eagle, like it's just craziness. And John describes they have these wings and they fly around and it says they never stop saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Holy, holy, holy. And over and over, that chorus never stops around God's throne. If you have praise that never ceases on your behalf, what does that mean about you? You must be that great. And God's praise never stops. Constantly around the throne. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and who is and is to come. Holy, holy, holy 
over and over again. It never stops. God is praised. God is worshipped. But not just by the living creatures, also by the 24 elders. They, they get up off their thrones, they fall down on their faces, and they cast their crowns down before God, and they declare worth to him, verse 11. Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. Why? Because you created all things. And by your will they existed and were created. What kind of king must God be for these people who are on thrones to get off their thrones and to get on their faces? He must be great. That kind of God is not the God who comes running when we ring the bell. That kind of God is far greater than that. He's majestic. He's the king. He's worthy of our praise and worthy of worship. But not just that. The last thing is God is holy. God is holy. And you see that in verse 8, right? And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within. And day and night they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. They say of God, God, you are holy, 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 you are three times holy. You are the holiest. You are the definition of holy. The word holy exists because of who you are. You are completely other, God. There is no one like you. You are the definition of perfect. You are holy, holy, holy. There is absolutely none like you. Nothing compares to you. Nothing will ever compare to you. You are holy. This is the song that is sung around God's throne in heaven over and over again. It never stops. This is who God is. This is the picture that we ought to carry because this is the accurate picture. John gets a picture of the throne room and he's giving it to us to give us a perspective. This is your God, people of God. He is majesty. He is the king. He is worshipped and he is holy. There is absolutely none like He is not the butler God who comes at the ringing of your bell. He is the God who inhabits the throne and is worthy of your worship. This God is not the God that responds to us that we push around and put away when we're done. He's the God that we respond to. So if this is the picture This is the picture, according to Revelation chapter 4. What does that mean for us? What does that mean for us? The first thing. If God is that great, then we are the ones responding to God, not the other way around. We are the ones responding to God, not the other way around. God called to shots. God sits on the throne. God is the one in control. God is the one that is great. Thus, the Bible would call us over and over again servants of God. But don't think, don't think servant like I'm unwilling and this is the worst. Think servant like I cannot believe that you and your greatness would invite me in through your son. My proper response would be to serve. I want to do it we respond to God's greatness with service. Second thing that it means for us, 
while God is not at your service. He has come to serve, but it's on his terms. While God is not at your service, he's not the butler coming at the ringing of a bell. He has come to serve. It's just on his terms. Matthew chapter 20, 25 through 28. This is what Jesus says. But Jesus called them and, and to him and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. He's speaking to his disciples after his disciples get in this argument about who's the greatest. James and John ask Jesus, Hey, when you are in your glory, let us sit on your right hand and your left. And Jesus is like, You don't have a clue what you're talking about. You just don't have a clue what you're even asking. You're like, yeah, we do, man. This is going to be good. Let's on your right and your left. Then the other 10 disciples are like, uh, we're, uh, you can't do that. Like, we want to be a part of this. We want to be great too. And Jesus is like, hold on, guys. You're missing the point. You're looking for power. The godless people look for power, and they lord it over people. Verse 26. It shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Verse 28, even as the Son of Man, that's Jesus, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. You should not hear that as Jesus has come as our butler that responds to the ringing of our bell when he says he has not come to be served, but to serve. No, he defines what his service looks like. He says he's not come to be served, but to serve. How? By giving his life as a ransom for many. You see, Jesus' service to us is the offering of himself in our place. Jesus goes to the cross and dies the death that you and I were supposed to die. That's how Jesus serves us, by taking on the wrath of God in your place and in my place. And he takes on the wrath of God on the cross and dies, really dies on the cross and is buried in a tomb. And three days later, resurrects from the dead as the victorious king and now stands as the way to reconciliation with God. That we get to go into the presence of God like that is described in Revelation chapter 4. We get to be in the presence of God and not be terrified, but be welcomed because of what Jesus has accomplished in our place. Because of how Jesus has served us. He paid your ransom note with his own life. But we should not respond to that by thinking. Oh, then God must be at my service then. No, this service, it should result in a very different response. A response that looks a lot like the 24 elders in Revelation chapter 4. A response that looks like verse 10 and 11. Look back with me. The 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast down their crowns before the throne saying, worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they existed and were created. The right response to Jesus' service of us is to take whatever it is that we have and cast it down before God and say, worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power because you created all things and by your will they exist. The right response to Jesus' service is worship, is a laying down of your life and saying, if that's what you have done in my place, 
then the right response is to give you my life. Revelation chapter 4 gives us a big picture of who God is. A big picture. One that isn't at our service, like a butler, but certainly one who does come to serve us in the person of Jesus. The question for you is, which one of those is your picture of God? Which one of those are you operating under? Because if you're treating God like the butler who comes with the ringing of your bell, you're going to find yourself frustrated. That's not who God is. But if you see God as the Bible describes him as great and glorious, and yet gracious and near, you'll find yourself satisfied. You'll find yourself satisfied.